Stand by. The vacuum tubes are warming up. This is a special live broadcast. Right here on Georgia Radio. Well, it's Tuesday night. Good evening, everybody. Matt Jolly hanging out here with you on the Georgia Folk and Farm Life Radio Hour. Wade Peebles is here. He's on the phone tonight, though, because, well, our equipment is not working just quite right. And that's okay. We're going to get through this. But we got a big guest, the biggest guest we've ever had on this show, Wade. And here you yeah. are with a on Ma Bell's line. You got the, the old <laughs> crank phone over there. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to have to ask Sarah to put this call through, I think. That's right. Um, you, yeah. I'm sorry that happened, but that's just the way it goes, you know? I mean, big night. Uh, this is... Um, uh, an exceptionally good show. We're glad to have uh, a, a really great guest tonight, and is uh, the son of famous novelist Louis Lamour, is Bo Lamour, and he, I think if I doubt anyone not does not know the name Louis Lamour. Oh yeah, and familiar with his with his uh, just amazing output and achievement uh, that he. A lifetime of work. You talk about a body of work. That man had a body of work, and he had a was blessed to have a son who came in and uh, helped, added to it, has carried on his legacy, and uh, done some you know just, uh, amazing work on his own. And 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 in addition to doing uh, work at other fields, he's an impressive man. And uh, he is. Before this we is get, such get a big. Started, yeah, I was going to say this is such a big show. In fact, you and I had dinner last night just to make sure we yes, were on the same you, page. You, you, for everybody, the reason we, I'm not on. Matt met me in Twin City with uh, this new equipment, which is not working tonight. Now the equipment's <laughs> working, but my computer. <laughs> <laughs> so he met me in Twin City last night. And we were so, you know, trying to prepare for had a great show tonight. We have full of more. We're all excited. Let's use this new equipment. The old equipment's not good enough for this now. So we um, we met there in Twin City, and and Matt was hungry, and I was on, I had been working all day. I, was, I said, uh, Matt, uh, we'll get something to eat. And the only thing that was open was a great little place called the Brown Bag Cafe there in Twin City, and they were about to close. So we went in and and. Uh, they had some food that was prepared already. It was uh, hamburger steak, gravy and onions, rice, gravy and roll. And that's great. And we elected to sit on the front porch. It was getting dark. And we sat on and had uh, some uh, freezing out fresco uh, frisky dining. Because I say frisky because a crazed cat joined us. That's right. We that's thought it was their that, cat, though. We did. Yeah, we, it was not their cat. He was just... He, I have things like happen to me wherever I go. So, of course, a crazy cat would appear. But, yeah, we, we while we were eating, this cat's just, he's, he's frantic. He's, and he's fat, like me. He's, he's not starving. <laughs> he's he just wants some of our food. And, and uh, you know, uh, he, he kept hopping and putting his front paws up on my leg, then over across from me on mats and, and going, meow, meow, and me just, you know, shrieking, like, feed me. And we were talking to the cat, like, cat. We're here to eat. We didn't, have, you're, you know. Well, and in fairness, we, that's the fastest dinner I've ever had in my life yeah, because yeah, this thing is, it was, yeah. It was, if you had broke off a piece of meat and handed it to that cat, you would have probably have lost a finger. <laughs> probably would. And, cat, and that's when you cat. said, that's when you said yeah, what kind of cat this oh, is. What kind of cat is this, Wade? Well, I, I finally figured out what kind of cat it was. It was a pushy cat. It was a pushy cat. There you go. And with it's that, we'll bring pushy. on the author here tonight. <laughs> Bo, I'm so apologize if you haven't followed such a lame 
I had to get that. <laughs> it's Bo Lamore. Uh, Louis yeah. Lamore's Louis Lamore's highly successful son uh, and co-author and and friend of the show here, Bo Lamore. Welcome to the show. How are you tonight? You look good on this camera that I'm nobody good. can see. Yeah, you don't live in Georgia. Uh, just to set the record straight. I'm contrary to a rumor that someone started yeah. today. <laughs> no, I do not. I do not live in Georgia. I live in Los Angeles. Yeah, and you've just you've just completed all this work too on on Louis Lamore's Lost Treasures, which is a, a an entire series of of books and old stories and and notes from the family archive uh, that are now complete. So this is all of the great stuff that your dad wrote. Uh, some of it was not finished, and then others that you've you've sort of republished with postscripts and everything else. Uh, this is a body of work that I know you're proud of, um, and your your father would certainly be proud of it as well. Can you tell us a little bit about Louis L'Amour's Lost Treasures tonight as we get started? Well, there's there's kind of two or three segments to it. The probably the most important piece is. Uh, I've gone into about 30 of dad's novels and books of short stories. And I have, uh, uh, I've written a postscript, which is kind of the story behind the story. And so that it's different for each one. Um, the postscript for the novel Callaghan is all about us driving around in the desert, looking for the old, cavalry forts on what's called the Mojave road. That's out, out here in California. And, uh, you know, there's one on, uh, last of the breed that has a lot to do with the, the movie that never got made. Uh, the one on Kiowa trail has a good deal to do with my dad's friendship with Catherine Hepburn, which led to that particular story being written. Um, and so, you know, each one is kind of a different subject. And then there are two books, two new books of uh, unfinished stories. And in the, actually, there are a couple of finished stories in there that we never published anywhere else. But most of the stuff is, uh, is unfinished. And in each case, I'll go through however many chapters. Sometimes it's two chapters. On a couple of occasions, it's 10 or 15 chapters. It's really quite a substantial amount. And uh, I'll take Dad's notes and my own memories and things like this. And when the section, the unfinished section of the story is over, I'll go in and try and explain to the reader where this story was going and what dad was trying to do with it in his career, you know, w- what exactly he was trying to work out and, uh, and try to give you some sense of, you know, what, what would have happened and why he was doing it. And then the last piece of it is a, a novel that dad left behind. It was actually his first novel, um, which he started writing in the late 1930s. And it was part of, in the early part of my dad's career, he wrote a number of stories which are packaged up in the short story collection Yandering, which are kind of about his early life. It's a different style from his westerns. It's much it's much more personal. And uh, this novel, No Traveler Returns, uh, is part of that 
series. So no traveler returns and yandering are kind of a are kind of a a single Louis L'Amour world unto themselves. Mostly most of the stories are set in the twenties and thirties, and um, and so I went into that book and and saw what figured out what Dad was trying to do with it and uh, why he couldn't finish it and uh, and uh, did a lot of research and uh, finished it off and, and now it's been out on the market for a year or two. It's a great series. I, I, I wanted to dive into this because I know Wade, you wanted to ask this too. What, what was it like on those family vacations? You sort of mentioned that. Uh, your dad wouldn't write about anything unless he had truly developed an understanding of it, whether it was meeting the old timers and taking the notes or, or going there in person and actually seeing the lay of the land. Uh, what was that like? I mean, were you, was it something that you were thankful for at the time or was it, was it like, Oh my goodness, here we go. We're going to load up in the station wagon and here we it was go. A again. Lot of star- it was a lot of staring out of the back of the car. It was, I think, I think my sister and I took it kind of uh, for granted. It's, it's simply what we did. So it, it didn't, you know, it wasn't, it, it wasn't special, but it was often exciting. And we got to go to different, you know, we got to go to different places and see all kinds of stuff. And so no, it was very, it was, it was a lot of, a lot of fun, but it was also a lot of, uh, you know, are we there yet? And when can we have ice cream and, uh, you know, a lot of motels and things like that. Mm. And, and my mother, my mother driving, which she was, she did very valiantly because, uh, my dad didn't drive. And I find that fascinating that he did not drive. Uh, but it would have been a completely different experience if he had, wouldn't it? Well, I think as he always said, he wouldn't have gotten nearly as much work done. <laughs> That's what I, yeah, right. Because <laughs> yeah. If, if, if he was just a passenger, I'm sure he was a thinker. Reading his work and knowing what I know about him was not that uh, thinking uh, was a priority and, and things like driving probably would have, uh, prevented, you know, we, we might've missed a treasure had he had to drive from point A to B at some point. You hear that Wade and, and Bo, I mean, just think if, if, if Wade wasn't a log truck driver, we'd have, we'd just have a cornucopia of, of that, Southern right. stories finished. If I could just sit home. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I tell you, uh, I, I style myself a writer, but then there are the great, great, uh, and and I'm sure there's a you know someone like Bo speaking say for instance those family vacations he had a famous dad and I'm sure he had a celebrity status but he was also just I'm sure just dad you know and and the month that we we think of everything surrounding a famous person or a, a gifted person as he was as being an aura of greatness but I'm sure there's a lot of mundane everyday uh, things that just being a family. Well, there wasn't much in our lives that had all that much to do with dad being famous. It wasn't, it, it wasn't something that was particularly impressive. I mean, we, my sister and I, you know, we grew up in Hollywood and right. it just, uh, just another writer. That's, that's not, you know, that's, that's like another, uh, it, you know, another junior executive at the car company. If you, if you work in Detroit. And so, well, so did, did either of your parents try to shield you from and try to make life as normal as possible and shield you from the celebrity part of it? 
I to it to a certain extent. Um, I, I'm not sure how much you know. I'm not sure how much of it was shielding. I'm not sure how much of it was just us, you know, uh, not being in the mainstream of things. Um, I, I mean, at the same time, I'm saying this, you know, I mean, we grew up in an environment that had a lot of celebrity people in it, but it was, but, you know, unless you're kind of at the top of that environment, it's not particularly uh, meaningful, either in a good way or a bad way. And, right. and so, you know, my dad was a guy who sat in a 12 by 12 room and typed. And I had a friend when I was in grade school who was an airline pilot. And, you know, it was the 1960s. That was really glamorous. That was really something. And so, you know, my dad could have been writing anything. He could have been just transcribing legal legal briefs. He could have been, you know, he could have been writing the, the weather broadcast for the news that night. Um, it's uh, it, it was not something... You know, I think if my dad had been the sort of person that he was, I mean, he was well known in the 60s, but not nearly as well known as he was in the 70s or 80s. Um, but if he was as well known as he was in the 60s and we had lived in a in a smaller town, in a town that wasn't about entertainment culture, uh, then he really probably would have stood out as a celebrity. But, I mean, it felt like we were just, you know, same as other people. It was this, this, I mean, he was a very interesting man. That was a whole, that's a whole different subject. I wanted um, to get into that a little bit because it, your, your father, when I think of your dad and everything that I've read about him, which isn't much, I mean, compared to a guy that grew up with him like you, but he was a, a guy that, that understood that you had to work hard and he worked hard from the time I think he came out of the womb. And I love the book, Education of a Wandering Man. It's, I, it's my favorite one out of them all, just because you get this, this, it's as close as an autobiography as you'll ever see, but you get this glimpse of a guy that just pushed and pushed and pushed and really embodied that American work ethic of just, if you, you know, you're going to do a lot of hard work. And if you're lucky enough, eventually someone will think something of it. And I mean, he just sort of embodied that he didn't really experience fame. I think as, as Wade is sort of describing it there until much later in life. Uh, and I, I think you could, I know you've, you've touched on that before, but. Uh. The mid seventies, I would say, I mean, you know, he started his career writing novels in the early fifties and uh, he'd been writing for some time prior to that, but he, he started writing novels in the early fifties. And I would say it was about 1975 or so uh, before things, you know, before he was really a big name and before, and the, the book started earning a lot more, not really because uh, a single book was was selling so much, but it was because he was he was lucky enough or talented enough so that none of his books went out of print. This is still a really remarkable thing about Dad's career. It might even be the only remarkable thing about Dad's career, but it's enormous. He never had a book go out of print ever. That's remarkable. And, yeah. <laughs> and so at a certain point, there was this critical mass of books, and yeah. that really made a difference. Uh, I do have a question. Uh, would you, in, in hindsight, do you think that your dad, or would you, if you had a 
change the chronology of what you stated his life, the way his life played out, his career. Do you think it was beneficial for you, for each of you as a as family and his career? The chronology of how it all played out. Do you think that that was best? I, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, I think I can answer that, and I think actually working on the Lost Treasures series allowed me to understand this. Um, Dad started out writing all kinds of different stories, all, all sorts of different genres when he was writing short stories for the pulp magazines. When he moved into uh, writing paperback novels, uh, he sold the way he was able to do that was selling himself uh, explicitly as a, as a writer of Westerns. And so he did that for seven or eight years and, and produced uh, more than a dozen novels in that in that time period, I'd say almost two dozen, and um, and then he wanted to do something else. Um, he occasionally wanted to write in other genres. He wanted to do various other things. Uh, the Walking Drum, which is a, a you know like a, a 12th century adventure story um, that came out towards the end of his career. He actually wrote that book in 1960, but couldn't publish it. And there was a period right at the time just before my birth where dad tried to add all kinds of different work into his career and it didn't work out. And then he kind of fell back on the Westerns probably because I was born and life was that much more expensive. And, um, and he started, he, it's, it's become quite clear. He didn't talk about this, but it's become quite clear examining his career that he very cannily started to plot a way of changing what he wrote within the Western genre so that he could get closer and closer to kind of breaking away and doing other things. So instead of just simply making a change and making the public and the publishers and the bookstores and everybody else like it, he started gently to change what he did. And it was a, it was a very long trajectory. It took quite a while, but right at the end of his career, he was able to do, he was able to sell the walking drum. He was able to sell last of the breed, which was a cold war thriller. He was able to sell uh, Haunted Mesa, which was a science fiction novel. Um, and so he really achieved, I mean, every goal. I think that it would have been wonderful if he had lived longer and he had been able to do more things in all of those areas. But he had given himself some goals and he really did achieve them. And I would say his life has kind of a wonderful structure because of that. As a writer, I would agree you would agree with that. It's what you're saying. I love that. Yeah, I, and I think it yeah. does too. Talk to me a little bit because this is a country station. We'd be remiss if we didn't bring this up. Uh, country music in the 1960s when the, the hippie and the cowboy kind of figured out that they have something in common. Your dad was right there. And I mean, really, you talk about chronology, Wade. I mean, the stars kind of aligned when the outlaw country stuff was was coming on strong. There was your dad introducing this idea of the American West to people that had never read it or really explored it. Talk to me about that. Cause that was an exciting time. Yeah. It may have happened a little later than that. 
Um, I mean, because I noticed I noticed those changes coming in with like Buffalo Springfield and the Eagles and Leonard Skinner and people like that. And that feels like the end of the 60s. I could be wrong about this. No, you're, I, was you're, you're probably, I think it started then in the 60s, though, yeah. when we started seeing guys like Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings and Merle yeah. Haggard and all of that. Charlie Daniels. Uh, yeah, exactly. And um, and so I think that. uh one of the dad was able to bridge uh, kind of the the culture of the old kind of conservative Western audience and move into the the younger kind of hippie Western audience. Um, these people were, you know, they were counterculture. The culture at the time, the the old school, you know, country club coat and tie conservative culture at the time, they were very much against that. You know, our culture has flipped one one side to the other. It's kind of, we've gone kind of yin to yang on these things uh, culturally and politically. But the, you know, hippie culture was very libertarian and it was kind of everybody kind of gets to do what they want and not be, you know, not be questioned about it. And that, of course, has a lot of, connection to the American West because people left the East to get away from a culture that was telling them what to do, that was demanding what they do. They wanted to come out West and, and cre recreate themselves and turn themselves into something, you know, something new. A lot of people did that after the civil war. A, a lot of people did that after the Mexican war and at a slightly earlier, uh, slightly earlier time period. And he was able to bridge that, gap and um, and carry that sense into a younger into a younger generation. So dad was kind of like a meeting of the old and the new when it came to Western Western writers. I mean, there had been a generation that had vanished before he came along, like Zane Gray's generation. And uh, uh, my dad actually worked for Zane Gray. He never met him, but he, he worked as a as a seaman rigging one of Zane Gray's big fishing boats. He had these big sailing ships that How he used that? to go fishing. Yeah. And, um, and so that, you know, there was that generation and the generation of Clarence Mulford who wrote the Hopalong Cassidy stories. Dad actually wrote the last four Hopalong Cassidy stories under contract to the publisher um, for Clarence Mulford. But anyway, uh, there was that generation, and then there was, you know, the generation that wrote in kind of the late 30s, 40s, early 50s, and Dad was part of that. And then he was the one that kind of carried on all the way through into the 1980s. Um, and and he didn't just hang on, you know, he when he passed away, he was at the height of his popularity. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so glad he got to see it. And he uh, really did. Uh, uh, I, I was wondering, uh, you turn, and the word treasure gets bandied, bandied about a good bit, but uh, what you work with in, in, in your dad's legacy uh, is Louis Moore's lost treasure. But what do you, for you, was the greatest treasure, personally, that you brought out of all of what you have done the work with your dad's body of work and the, and the affiliation you've had with it all and with him, what would you consider that the greatest personal treasure, you know, gift from it all 
it has been to you? Oh, I don't know. I mean, to, if I'm really, uh, <clears throat> if, if I'm really, uh, sort of selfish and I'm just totally thinking about my own experience, I would say it's been the opportunity to work in so many different areas of entertainment. Uh, I've been able to do, uh, audio dramas, like, like old time radio dramas. I've been able to do a graphic novel. I was able to manage uh, a fiction magazine that was publishing new Western fiction, new, new authors for a couple of years. Um, I was able to uh, work in the motion picture business. I, I mean, there have been, you know, the, the wonderful thing is that I've been able to get such a broad variety of experience while still uh, maintaining the same goal. Uh, you know, I couldn't have done all of those things and r really worked to further my dad's career if all of this hadn't worked out just right. So that's, that's been, you know, that's been terrific. Uh, if I, so, you know, you want to look at something more altruistic, um, I'm extremely pleased with the fact that I can do this and help out my family and hopefully continue to bring something that the, the fans enjoy and things like this, you know, so there's, there's many different levels. Um, and, uh, and I'm just very thankful that I've had a chance to do all of them. Let's go to the, uh, some of the comments here, uh, Bo, that have, that have come up. I've, I've been digging around here on Georgia folk and farm life. And I found a few. Debbie Brown writes in and she says, my mom loved uh, all of Louis L'Amour's books. Uh, this one I thought was funny. <laughs> so uh, one of the ladies writes in and she's she's asking, I'll, I won't I won't say her name, uh, Kay, but uh, she writes in and she said, uh, I ha we have all the books. We love the Tom Selleck movie uh, because he's easy on the eyes. And then one of the other ladies writes in and she said, I wonder if Bo ever got to meet Tom Selleck. And they go on and on and on here about Tom Selleck, about four lines. So wait, did you, did you, how did, how did the, how did the Sackets uh, in, in the, you know, the movie form or the miniseries, how did that change? Uh, how did that change everything? Because that brought it to the small screen. Uh, he'd been on the big screen with a bunch of other movies, but, but I think that's interesting. How did it go from being on the big screen? Now suddenly Louis L'Amour is in your home on the television set. How, how was that? Did that have a, a big well, effect? I, I don't think it, I don't think it made any, I don't think it had any effect on my dad's career. I don't believe any, any movie, any single film, you know, they, they work as a, a brief, uh, a, a brief burst of publicity that someone else pays for. And then um, that's it. <laughs> they're, they're great. They're the publisher finds them to be a great relief because somebody else gets out there and does a bunch of work that they can take advantage of. Um, but I, I would say, no, it doesn't really change. Uh, it hasn't really changed our lives in the publishing business I, that now that does not mean that a lot of fans don't really, really appreciate like the Sackett little mini series and some other things that have been, that have been done. Um, but it doesn't really make a huge difference for, uh, for, uh, book sales. Um, I've, so just to continue on answering the questions, um, yes, I've met Tom. I worked with him on a, a film, the shadow writers that was made a few years later. And, um, and he's a joy to work with, which is, is not necessarily true of a lot of, uh, 
movie stars, they tend to be uh, very worried about. That's going to make Patsy and Kay really happy that you just said that. Jake Porter writes in and he says he loved uh, The Last of the Breed. We do have a a question here, and I'm trying to understand. This was sent in on email. We had a bunch of email questions. I just wanted to get to two of them uh, tonight. Uh, This is talking about, I'm trying to, okay, oh, here we go. No Traveler Returns. Uh, This is from Randy. Randy writes in, he says, I loved No Traveler Returns. I just happened to find it one day uh, at a bookstore. And picked it up, not realizing fully uh, who Louis L'Amour was, and now I've become a fan. Uh, he lives here, and he go. This is a long email, uh, but he goes on to ask. He said, uh, "How many of those characters uh, that your dad wrote about were real people who he probably knew from his days on ships, much like that?" That's a great question, Randy. And I and your dad. We talked about that earlier. He wrote a lot about people he knew. Uh, and there's some so, interesting characters in that book. So nothing could make me happier than the idea that uh, No Traveler Returns has created a Louis L'Amour fan. All right, that's well, there you go, I Randy. Mean, no, that's 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 unbelievable. That's great. Um, but a, a couple of them, definitely the um, Pete Brower character and the um, uh, Shorty Conrad character. Those were both those were both real guys that Dad went to sea with. Some of the others were kind of composites of uh, of people, and and uh, you know there's a there's a few notes in the postscript to that to that book which which talk about you know kind of who's a real person and who isn't, but but a few for sure. Melissa writes in. Uh, this is the last one, Wade. I want to get to this one. Where Melissa asked, where have all of the typewriters gone? <laughs> Somebody <laughs> remembers. Yes. Yeah, so there you I go. Have been. <laughs> um, I, I actually, when I'm doing research, like if I'm working on Louis L'Amour's Lost Treasures and I find a page of notes or something and I need to know when it was written, Dad had different typewriters in different eras and I can often type part of a page and verify that that is the instrument that it came from and then I know when he did it. Typing forensics. I like that. Yeah. Exactly. And so the typewriters are in my office. There you go. Well, Bo, I had uh, uh, last week, as you know, you know, uh, I, I know you've been interviewed many times and talked to so many people, and, and people want to always tell you what your dad meant to them, and he meant many things to many people. But uh, his, his fans are really, uh, you know, great fans. And, uh, I mentioned to a friend of mine last week that you were going to be a guest on the show tonight, and he was excited about that. And his name's Randy, but I don't give his last name. But um, he he texted me. He said that his dad had all of your dad's books, and he said being a Western fan and an alcoholic, he said reading them put his mind at ease. And I thought that was it's funny, but true. It, it it that it means something different to uh, just about everyone reading Louis Lemoore's work. Well, we definitely don't want there to be any 12-step programs for Louis Lemoore readers. We, we want to have as many we want to have as many of them get uh, you know, get hooked as we can possibly uh, as we can possibly get. Well, Bo, thanks for being here tonight. We've burned through 30 minutes. It's already uh, time the news is already running uh, on on the other channel. But listen, I I I I thank you for coming on and if folks want to find Louis Lemoore's Lost Treasures, they want to get the whole series. 
Uh, how can they do that? Uh, Louis Lemoore's LostTreasures.com. That's easy enough. And, of course, all of, the, all of the books are still in print. You can find them just about yes. anywhere. And if they want to, if they want to follow <laughs> along with you, um, you are not on Twitter. You're not on uh, you're really not on Facebook. You're not on a lot of things. Uh, the best way to do it is, is just because you're writing. You're writing, and <laughs> unfortunately, you do drive. So the time that you're not writing, you're doing other things. The best way to follow along is on uh, the Louis L'Amour fan page. That's a great way to stay in touch with what the family's doing and what you're doing because uh, you're, you're on there quite a bit. The, the Facebook page is good, and, you know, if people have to talk to me, they can write me an email, but have a question. If you don't have a question, I won't write back to you. There you go. Bo L'Amour, awesome to talk to you. Thanks for coming on. Wade, you want to wrap us up? Yeah, uh, thank you, Bo. It, it, it was an honor to have you as a guest and a pleasure to speak with you, and I hope you have uh, enjoyed uh, being a guest. And we want to thank everybody for listening tonight, and if you're going to listen later on the podcast, God bless you. Y'all be careful out there. And thank you for supporting us and being a part of Georgia Folk and Farm Life and a part of Georgia Radio. And you Uh, have an apology to make, too, because we learned that there was somebody uh, who may or may not have had a very similar last name to Bose. We won't say that that applied for membership. Yes, yes. And I would know. <laughs> yes, turned away a very, I'm sure, sweet lady, and it broke my heart. I'm like, no, yeah, but we'll we'll try to get that uh, squared away. Yeah, it it wasn't my mother. It wasn't. It was somebody it else. Was, it was somebody else. <laughs> I just checked. I just checked. <laughs> Wade, Wade was so That's busted hilarious. up about that. Well, listen. Yeah, I'm worried about that. Well, I'm, but thank you for for leaving my mind, though. That there you go. All right, everybody. Wade, thanks again. Bo, thank you. We'll talk real soon, everybody. So long for now. Tune in tomorrow morning, uh, by the way. James Gregory uh, joins me on Neighbor to Neighbor tomorrow morning. The comedian James Gregory and then Mark Ware, also country music artist Mark Ware, will be there uh, to talk about his upcoming event. Thanks again for listening, everybody. So long for now. All the best country. Georgia Radio. Everywhere you go.